This past Thursday, a small number of men got together at Jack's restaurant and we studied the Bible. We've been doing that for some time now on the first and try to be the first and third Sunday, Thursday, or was Monday, now it's Thursday of, of each month, and, and we got together and, and I, I made an announcement last week, or I made a comment about the announcement that was in the newsletter because it was it was an unusual title or subject that we, we studied. That subject was how to avoid becoming a grumpy old man. And it was based upon Genesis chapter 47, which is, um, is where Pharaoh asked, Jacob about his life. Ask him, how many, how many years have you lived? And Jacob's response was, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. And the lesson, the discussion was, well, we don't really want to classify one of the patriarchs as being a grumpy old man, but, but that was kind of a grumpy old man response. And, and when you look at Jacob's life, there were some reasons why he would say that his days were full of evil. They were unpleasant here at the end of life. But then if you, if you step back and look at Jacob's life, you see there were other things that took place that might have elicited a different response. But at the end of the study, and let me, let me say this too. I, you know, this, this was never meant to be an old man study. Now, Nick and I, we're the, we're, we're the youth group, right, Nick? Uh, we're, the, we're the youth group in, in, in the group. Uh, it was just meant to be a men's Bible study. I want to encourage the young men to do the same thing. You don't have to come to our study. If it, if it makes you feel better just being with your own peers, um, get together. Somebody step up, say, hey, let's get together. If it's better to do it at night, meet at a restaurant and have a Bible study. It's a good work. And, and I say that because... It's, it's some of the most productive studies that I, I feel like I've been having lately because of the comments. I mean, we open up. You know, we're, we're transparent when we're sitting there at the, at the table eating together. And I think the young men could do the same thing. And um, it's also good because people are watching. I've had, I've had ones present, not in our group, but there ask about our study. I had a young lady last Thursday that, that was behind the counter, working the counter, and she started asking about the Bible study. And we got into a really good discussion, and she told me that she was in recovery, and, and, and then she mentioned that she had been raised in the church. And so I invited her to, to come to, to Baldwin sometime. Well, I don't know how appropriate it is for me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. She said, well, no, now my grandfather, I do still visit with him sometime, but where, where he goes, and it's, it's not in Coleman, because I wanted to find this out, I asked specifically, and, and she said, but now where he goes, I, I, can't, I can't wear a short sleeve shirt because of my tattoos. You know, she said, I feel like I have to cover up my tattoos. And I said, well, you come to Baldwin. We got tattoos. And, and, and we don't feel like you have to cover them up either. You know, that's, that's not a problem. And, and, but you know, one thought that went through my mind about that is, is that what we're known for? I mean, do we want to be known for stuff like that? I'd rather be known for, for being on fire for the Lord and, and being a people that's committed to Bible study and a people that's committed to worship. You know, not something we don't do, even, and, and that wasn't even accurate. 
So we need to, we need to think about getting out there and having Bible studies and, and having an impact and encouraging people to come and be with us and study the Bible with us. So that's a good thing. But getting back to the study, and this is all part of the introduction. At the end, one of the men said, well, hey, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should preach a lesson on, on this. I said, well, what is it? And, and he put it out there, and, and the other man said, yeah, that'd be a great lesson. Let's, let's have a lesson on that. So uh, after much struggle, <laughs> I know what you ladies who, who your husband goes to this study, you're wondering, was it my husband? Well, let me just say what happens at Jack stays at Jack. I'm not going to preach on this. This was a stab at humor, and I guess it kind of halfway worked. But I'm going to preach on something else that, that is connected with that study, and that is reflecting on life. At the end, what will you see? If, if you're at the end of your life, and, and we don't really know when that is, but let's just say that you're older, and you know that you're, in the, you're living in the sunset years of life, and, and someone asks you, how has your life been? What will your response be? Now, you'll have to think about it. Maybe you'll have to reflect on it. And maybe you have reflected on it. Maybe that's why Jacob responded the way he did. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. But when you look at Jacob's life, I ask the question again, were there not good things that he could have focused on? Could he not have said some good things about, about his wife and about his children? Yeah, there was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of heartbreak in his life. But I think there were good things too. How, how will you respond to, to that question at some point in your life if that question is asked? And right now, right now is the time of our lives when we're developing that perspective and we're reflecting and focusing on certain things which is going to prompt the response that we may give to a similar question. Well, I want to think about a response that was given several hundred years later by a man by the name of Paul. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you're familiar with Paul's story. And if you think about the life of Paul and you compare his life, maybe even to Jacob's life, Jacob had some hard times. But you compare Jacob's life to Paul's life Paul's life was at least as difficult, and some might even argue more so, than was the life of, of Jacob. And yet, toward the end of his life, from a prison cell, I might add, he writes about what he foresees as being the end. And we know this based upon verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. But then he says, he could have said, my, my years have been few and unpleasant. But instead he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Wow, what a difference. What a difference perspective makes in life. 
What a difference, what a difference understanding and, and, and focusing upon all the right things can make in the perspective that we have on the lives that we live. One of the men told a really good story during our, our study about a lady that had spent years of her life harboring resentment and bitterness toward another lady. Something happened and she was insulted, she was, she was um, brought down. And all these years she had this bitter feeling and it just, it just ate on her like a cancer. And then years later she met that lady, she saw her on the street, they hardly recognized each other, but she went up to the woman who was the object of her resentment, and she, and she just kind of unloaded her guns on, him, on her. Do you remember when you did this? you remember when this happened? And the lady responded and clarified what she did. And the woman with all the resentment simply misunderstood and misinterpreted what was actually a good act. Something that was done for her benefit, not to her detriment. So she had wasted her life. Wasted her life with all this bitterness and resentment that ate on her like a cancer when it wasn't even necessary. It wasn't even necessary. You see, Overcoming this negative perspective is so important because it just affects every day, every event, every interaction, every relationship, and it'll make a difference. So how can we overcome that negative perspective? Well, and my man gave me some good suggestions here. You can remember what God has done. I think it was Jack who said that part, a part of it is, is a problem with our memory. Thinking about Jacob, looking back on his life, did he forget about the children that were born to him? Did he forget about the, the blessings that were his? He left Canaan and he had nothing. He came back 20 years later. He had wives and children and herds and cattle and, and he was a wealthy man. He thought Esau was going to meet him and kill him, but Esau had pushed all of that aside. They reconciled. There were good things. But even if everything in our life was negative, and it's not, but even if that's the case, if we think about what God has done for us, can we not think about good things? In Psalm chapter 77, verse 11, the psalmist wrote, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. If we spend our lives with our minds aimed in that direction, then regardless of what might be happening to us on the outside, how are we going to respond when someone says, Tell me about your life. In Psalm chapter 103, beginning at verse 1, this psalmist, David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget 
none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Have you forgotten your forgiveness from sins? Have you forgotten the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross? That's why we partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week. It's a, it's a, it's a memorial. It's to remind us of what Jesus did, how he became sin on our behalf so that we could be forgiven. Should that not have some impact upon our lives and our perspective and our attitudes? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, considering once more the example of Paul, the one who wrote, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. As he looked to the end of his life, he saw all of those good things. As I mentioned earlier, bad things happened in his life. But this was Paul's perspective in verse 12. He had a good memory of the good things. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in, in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And then here's that expression of praise. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He was remembering what God did for him. Not the mortgage, not the, the difficult time at the, the workplace, not the strained relationships, not the bad economy, not the bad government or the good government or whatever it is that's going on in the world and other places. He was thinking about what God did for him. And that helped him to make his way through life and to have that good end-of-life perspective. I think another thing that helps is to remember this old saying, every cloud has a silver line. You know what that means? That's one of those things, we, we use it so frequently that it almost tends to become trite and to lose its meaning. I, I, I knew what that meant, but I looked it up anyway to make sure that I hadn't lost something through the years as that saying has been tossed around. And there was this picture. I should have put it into my PowerPoint, but there was this picture of this, this dark cloud. You can see that in your mind, can't you? And behind the cloud, you don't see the sun, but you see the silver lining around the cloud that is caused by the sun that is behind it. Well, in, in life, you can focus upon the dark cloud or you can see that silver lining. And you have to look beyond the cloud to see the silver lining and to know that the sun is there. 
in Genesis chapter 50, going back to Jacob's life, let's take a moment to think about his son, Joseph. What about Joseph's life? You remember the, the son who was sold into Ishmaelite slavery? And he spent years being falsely accused and in, imprisoned. And he goes from just one negative situation to another. What kind of perspective is he developing through the years? Then his brothers eventually make their way to Egypt. You know, the reconciliation takes place. But, but later, the brothers become concerned after Jacob's death. And in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong which we did to him? Now, this wrong was real. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a misunderstanding. It wasn't an incorrect perception of event. He was sold into slavery by his older brothers. What a, what a terrible thing to happen to someone in life. And, buddy, if anyone had a right to hold a grudge, Joseph wasn't. But the years go by, and, and the pieces start to fall together. Joseph becomes second, second into command to Pharaoh. God reveals certain things to him. There's going to be seven years of, of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And you know how Joseph worked all that out. And just, just think, though, how difficult even those seven years of famine must have been. And the decisions that he had to make and, and the difficulty of being in that position of leadership. But he started to develop perspective, a perspective. So they sent a message to Joseph, verse 16, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your bro the brothers and their sin, but they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He didn't say, yeah, that's right. You, you, you need to be falling on your knees before me. I have the power of life and death. No, he's, he's crying about this. His brothers also came and they fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, with tears in his eyes, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? He sort of understood that thing too, didn't he, about vengeance is mine, I will repay. Anything that's bad that's going to happen to you, it's not going to be for me. God will take care. He'll, he'll uh, right all the wrongs. That's not my job. That's not my place. As for you, you meant evil against me. I get that. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You see, he saw the silver lining to the cloud. And it changed his perspective. He saw the big picture. He looked beyond the dark cloud and he saw the sun that would eventually appear and the day would be brighter. Paul had that perspective. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, he wrote, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, I'm getting older, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. Read his life. There was nothing light about his affliction. 
if that was light affliction, I would hate to experience heavy affliction. Paul suffered a lot, but he saw it as light affliction that is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, the sun behind the dark clouds, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, and may I just say that that's our problem? We keep looking at the things that you can see. What we need to be looking at is the things that you can't see. We need to be looking to see beyond the cloud. We need to be looking into heaven. The Bible has something to say, does it not, about setting your mind on things above? We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's where your perspective is. And then the final point that I would make is, if we want to overcome this negative perspective, we need to speak and then we need to listen. We need to verbally express our gratitude. You know, we're affected by what other people say. We're affected, about, we're affected by what other people say about us. We're affected by what other people say about life. But we're also affected by what we say about ourselves and about how we think about our, ourselves and how we think about our life. We need to give verbal expression to the gratitude that should be and can be within our hearts. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed. And then notice what he adds at the end. And overflowing with gratitude. Does that describe me? No, it doesn't. Does that describe you? Probably not. Should it? Absolutely. Stop listening to all the noise. Stop listening to the, to the ten spies who came back with the evil report and said, we can't take this land because it has giants and fortified cities and we've never fought these, these, these enemies. We can't do this. We need to listen to the voice of Joshua and the voice of, of Caleb who, who saw and believed in all that God had done and knew that God would be with them. We need to have that perspective and we need to thank God for what he has done for us in Christ Jesus and then we'll overflow with that gratitude. Chapter 3 and verse 15. Chapter 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Did you realize that when, when you sing in, in a public assembly, if there's not thankfulness in your heart, that's not New Testament worship. You, you, you've checked the box. But is there thankfulness in your heart when you sing? Chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Did you know that when you pray to God and there is not within your heart this attitude of thanksgiving, that's an unacceptable act of worship? 
Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit. And fruit is a, it's, a, it's, it's what is produced from within the heart. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Does that describe who we are? Does that describe the person that God sees whenever we engage in acts of worship? I read 1 Timothy chapter 1 earlier. I think I was supposed to read 2 Timothy chapter 1. But in that reading in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17, we saw where Paul thanked Christ. He was giving verbal expression to the gratitude that was in his heart. He saw how he was an object of God's grace and mercy. He saw what God had done for him because God had a plan and a purpose. And, and that's the way we need to see our lives. If we see that greater plan, that greater purpose, and God had that for Jacob, didn't he? The, the threefold promise that God made to Abraham was reiterated to Isaac and then to Jacob. He had a wonderful purpose in God's redemptive plan. I think, I can't help but think that if he, if he would have just saw beyond the clouds and, and, and focused on how his life was a part of the ultimate plan of God to save mankind, then he could have found something better to say than what he said when he was asked about his age. I hope these thoughts have helped you. I continue to work on not becoming a grumpy old man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great challenge. It's a great challenge, but it's all a matter of the mind, a matter of the heart. I have a good life. If you're here today and you never obeyed the gospel, then we want you to begin a new journey. We want you to to step out, to confess the faith that's in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, to repent of your sins, and then to be baptized, to have those sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. That's the invitation that is yours as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.